Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly, coming to you from the Financial Times' new headquarters in Bracken House. I'm Gideon Rachman and today we're discussing Austria, where the governing coalition has just collapsed after the far-right Freedom Party were discredited by a sting operation, by journalists apparently, that showed them apparently open to corruption and to Russian influence. Joining me to discuss all this is Europe editor Ben Hall here in the studio in London and on the line from Vienna, our correspondent there, Sam Jones. Ben, first of all, it's a slightly convoluted tale. Can you describe what happened? Yes, so Heinz Christian Strache, who was Deputy Chancellor of Austria and leader of the far-right Freedom Party, was filmed in a covert recording in a Spanish villa discussing illicit party donations in return for government contracts with a wealthy Russian or a woman purporting to be the niece of a Russian oligarch. This video was filmed in 2017 before the parliamentary elections, so before he took power. And there doesn't seem to be any evidence that he ever followed through on these discussions, but it was clearly too big a political scandal for him or for Sebastian Kurz, the Chancellor, to ignore. And Stracher was forced to resign as party leader and as vice-chancellor. So, Sam, you're in Vienna. I mean, did this threaten the actual government itself? How was Chancellor Sebastian Kurz, who is a sort of wunderkind of European politics, only 32 years old, and much praised in some circles up until now. How's he coping? Yet it precipitated a full-on government crisis. As soon as they moved to get rid of Strache, he resigned. There was then this question over the future of the rest of the FPÖ ministers in the cabinet, of which there are four. And among the ministries they control, uh, Defence and the Ministry of the Interior being two particularly sensitive ones, given the revelations in this video. And so Kurtz made clear eventually on Sunday that he would like the entire FPÖ ministerial team to resign. And then they resisted him. And eventually when he tried to get rid of Herbert Kickel, the interior minister, the FPO resigned en masse and they've gone into opposition against the government and we still actually don't know whether Kurtz will be able to weather this crisis because there is a no confidence vote now scheduled against him on Monday and so far the Social Democrats who have it in their power to decide the outcome of that vote really have sort of wavered as to whether they will or they won't support Kurtz. The key question for them being that there are the actual elections coming up in September and those are the sort of prize they need to focus on really rather than getting distracted by this political crisis of the moment. So Ben, let's look at the wider European context because I mean Austria is a relatively small country but this scandal has happened on the eve of the European parliamentary elections in which the rise of the far right of which the Freedom Party are an important component is a big, big theme. So how does this fit into the broader European picture? Well, it's obviously an embarrassment to the other far-right parties who have teamed up with the Freedom Party. Matteo Salvini, the leader of the hard-right League in Italy, is orchestrating a new alliance of which the Freedom Party was going to be a part. 
And so the question is, is whether it rebounds in those various national campaigns. Emmanuel Macron in France is certainly using it as a stick to try and beat Marine Le Pen, the French far-right leader. But we'll have to see how it will pan out. I think the significant thing is that Sebastian Kurz was blazing a trail that many conservatives want to go down in Europe, which is shifting away from sort of consensual centre-ground politics to more right-wing politics, where the centre-right people's parties of Europe actually cooperate with hard-right parties and take Europe in a more right-wing direction. That's what Kurz was doing in Austria And that's what quite a few of the nationalist forces want to do on a European scale. And the fact that it's blown up in Vienna, I think, presages pretty badly for that kind of route to a more conservative European politics. Because, I mean, as you say, Kurz was a bit of a hero, actually, to some on the right in Germany, where I was last week. A lot of people, this was just before the scandal broke, were talking about him as offering a potential model for German politics, which had got sort of, as they saw it, stuck in the sort of squishy centre, Merkel, not really a conservative as they saw it, and that maybe this could be a Kurtzian future for Germany, but perhaps that looks less convincing now. I think it probably does. I think he probably has, for much of the time that he's been Chancellor, he has been a bit of a hero for Conservatives in Germany who are fed up with Angela Merkel's centrism and still can't forgive her for opening German doors to the migrant influx in 2015 and 2016. And I think it's not just Conservatives in Germany, Conservatives in France, Conservatives in Spain, who feel that Kurz maybe had the answer to an insurgent far right, which is... You move on to some of their territory, you maybe cooperate with them, but you contain them that way electorally. Now, to a degree, that is what happened in Austria in the sense that Kurz and his People's Party are pretty popular and they have managed to stop the Freedom Party from overtaking them. But many would argue, well, at what cost? Essentially, he enabled the Freedom Party to come into power and to do things which normal centre-right parties wouldn't do vilifying Muslim immigrants and infiltrating the security services. So there was a price to pay. And the question for courts is whether that damages him politically. Mm. And Sam, I mean, this whole question of Russian influence is a fascinating one, isn't it? Because, I mean, it should be noted that the people that Stracker was interviewed with were not actually representing Russian interests. It was a sting. And yet Vienna generally and this current government has become a sort of a more welcoming port for Putin's Russia, which is looking for ways of breaking the European Union embargo on them. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there are sort of two elements to this, really. One is the story of the FPÖ and the Freedom Party, that is, and their particular embrace of Russia, which has been a project that's been an intrinsic part of their modernization, if you like, their sort of turnaround from being a quite traditional, if you like, nasty Nazi party into a more outward looking, open looking, far right populist party, which has occurred under Stracker. And that 15 year project right from the get go involved relations with Russia. And of course, the timing worked there because it was around the mid 2000s that Putin began his own turn towards social conservatism in Russian politics to shore up his own political base. So the ideological currents there made sense that that link should develop. But really, since then, there has been this enthusiasm, to put it mildly, for all things Russia and Russian policy. And it's not just the FPO main party, but also all of these organisations, the student societies, the youth movements that are connected with them, that have mushroomed in Vienna and made this city a real hub 
hub for Russian influence in Europe. The second part to this question, though, is actually the much longer standing historical connections between Austria and the Austrian state and Russia. Because the unsaid part of this story is that actually the Russian government still has excellent contacts, if not better contacts, between long standing senior figures in the Kremlin. And mainstream Austrian parties. And every Austrian government of the past 50 or so years has been very careful to cultivate relations with Russia. And for the Russians as well, their relationship with the FPO is really just one of convenience, I think, based on the fact that the FPO was becoming this major political force in Austria and therefore they needed contact with them. But they've been quite careful, the Russians. You know, one of the open questions about the Strucker video was why was there no money previously that had actually Come from Russia? Why was Straka having to accept this money from this ersatz Russian unless he didn't have money and material support from Russia? And analysts we've spoken to here sort of seem to suggest well, that portrays the reality of the situation that the FPO has this ideological bond, but not really much of a substantive bond with Russia. And actually, the substantial connections are still with the mainstream Austrian parties. And Ben, I mean, going back to the pan European side of it, Of course, this question of sympathy for Russia is a bit of a theme that runs through all of the resurgent far right from Salvini's League in Italy, the AFD in Germany, Le Pen in France. In a way, I suppose for those of us who grew up in the Cold War, who were sort of the right as particularly allergic to Russia, it's an interesting change, isn't it? It is, although I would say clearly Vladimir Putin and his style of government and his disparaging of a decadent West sort of fits in with a lot of the far right narrative. And also, you know, uh, autocratic ruler who is not constrained by political correctness or constitutional niceties. The one thing, though, is that it doesn't unite all of the nationalist or ultra conservative movements in Europe at all. In fact, it's quite a big fault line running through them. And it's why ultimately... Poland's Law and Justice Party will not join with Salvini and Stracher and Le Pen because they distrust Russia too much. And their view is also echoed, I think, by the Sweden Democrats and possibly some of the other Nordic countries. So I think it's the one reason why you will not have one super far right nationalist party in Europe because of differences over this question. And finally, Sam, we've spoken about the way in which the Kurtz brand, if you like, has been damaged perhaps temporarily, in the rest of Europe. Does he still, though, seem to be likely to be in command of Austrian politics? I mean, how are people reading this in Vienna? It's been a tumultuous couple of days where just two days ago, for example, the Social Democrats seemed to be saying they were going to support the no confidence vote and then the FPO looked like they might be supporting that, which would have been enough to get rid of Kurtz. But I think he will maintain his grip on the chancellery. I mean, for one thing, in all of the press conferences he has given, his performance has been a sort of model of command and authority and control. And he is very much trying to play the statesman card. He has been helped an awful lot in that by Austria's president, Alexander van der Bellen, who's a much older figure, but also somebody from a liberal background who is therefore able to bring along a lot of the centre ground in Austria with him. And because he's been working with Kurtz over the past few days, I think that's been the crucial element that's allowed Kurtz to maintain his credibility 
assuming he survives Monday's no confidence vote, which I think he probably will, but could be famous last words, then, of course, we then have a number of months until the September election. And I don't think anyone in that time is going to be seeking to bring down the government because it will be too bad for the campaigning because it will allow Kurtz, who still is a member of the largest and most popular party in Austria and still has extremely strong personal opinion polling ratings, it will allow him to portray himself as the candidate of stability and his opponents as those who are seeking to destabilise the Austrian state. OK, well, it sounds like we haven't heard the last of either Mr Kurtz or the FPO, but we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much indeed to Sam Jones in Vienna, to Ben Hall here in the studio in London. That's it for this week from the FT World Weekly Podcast. Until next week, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.